I need to make an honest confession. I know we're supposed to love everybody, but there are some people I just find it hard to love. I know I'm sure I would love them if they were just more, well, if they were just more lovable. Well, welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And in this podcast, we want to address this issue of loving others. So, Chris, you are one of those truly lovable guys. Good to be with you, Chris. I'm so glad you said that. I was kind of thinking maybe he's referencing talking about me. Oh, no, not at (laughs) all. I'm glad to know that uh, that's how you feel, Lynn. Good to see you. Good to be with you today. We are starting a new study called How to Love Your Neighbor. And for a lot of our people, when they hear that that, uh, title, they might think, well, everybody knows how to do that. I don't think so. Not what we're seeing in our culture. So I think it's a timely study for us to consider about what it means for us to be believers and to love people, especially love our neighbors. Yes. Joining our podcast is the author of this study, Dr. Katie McCoy. Katie, thank you for taking the time to be with us for this study. Hey, great to be with you both. Thanks for having me. And let me just tell you, with the inception of doing this study, uh, I talked to one of uh, our colleagues at Lifeway, Kelly King, and Kelly said, I have someone you need to write this study. And so, Katie, uh, I can thank Kelly for introducing us to to you uh, or you to us, uh, because you have done a phenomenal, such a conversational approach to how you uh, talk about just loving our neighbors. Uh, Katie serves as the director of women's ministry for Texas Baptist. Katie, in your introduction uh, to the study and this, this this particular session, you described yourself as domestically challenged. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, I'm getting better, thankfully. But my uh, my misadventures were pretty notorious growing up. So I uh, I would I would um, well I call it overhelping. Uh, overhelping. I, I try to think a little too far ahead and uh, I think I'm doing something really great, but I'm probably just making a little more work for people. So one time I started uh, emptying uh, the, the dishwasher thinking that they were clean. They were, the dishes were not clean. Um, I'm telling you though, that, that pre-rinsing that that's confusing. I don't know how anybody will be able to tell. Uh, another time I folded and put away the dirty laundry <laughs> thinking I was helping my mom there. Um, and then, uh, of course, one, one huge one was the time I looked at the dishwasher and saw uh, underneath the cabinet, some dishwashing soap and thought dishwasher dish soap, what could go wrong? Right. And so, uh, put, put a big pool of blue liquid into the dishwasher, closed it up, felt great about myself for being so helpful and then moments later, it was just, you know, clouds billowing out of the cabinetry. So bubbles everywhere. <laughs> Katie, when I read this, that was that was the one that made me laugh because I have I have done that. And I had in-laws <laughs> at our house when I did it. Of course, of course, because there's no east, there's no convenient time. Like this to happen. No, I'm sure they looked at my wife and said, who is this idiot you married? But uh but that's I love those stories. But what your your point, what you were bringing out there was this idea uh, you are you, uh, you said you're notorious for cleaning according to what your parents would inspect, not necessarily what they would expect. And what we're looking at this uh, in this session is a story of a man who was 
kind of doing that same thing. He was sort of looking for what, what Jesus would inspect and not truly was, was expected. So let's look at this account. We are in Luke 10 for this study. We're going to begin in verse 25, and we're going to begin uh, as Jesus talks to an expert in the law uh, and this little conversation. We'll talk about the conversation between this expert and Jesus, and then we'll get later a, a bit to the story Jesus told. This is verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly. He told him, do this and you will live. So we have these encounters in Jesus ministry uh, between him and the Pharisees. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about who the Pharisees are, not assuming that everyone understands. Katie? Yeah, that's a great point. So there were several different uh, sort of subgroups in Jewish life. Um, You had the Sadducees who denied the reality of a resurrection. You had the uh, Zealots who wanted to bring about a political overthrow of Roman occupation. You had the Essenes who would separate themselves. They would sort of be what we might call monks today. Um, searching for religious purity. And then you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees, we, uh, we think of them as like the villains of the story. But what we don't often realize is that the Pharisees were the most, uh, at least outwardly blameless and righteous people in the Jewish community. These were the people that uh, Jewish men wanted to aspire to be able to become. And so not only uh, were they very pious, they took the, the, the law very seriously, but they were constantly adding to the law as a way to fulfill it to the most precise degree possible. And so this is part of what Jesus is referring to when he speaks in the Sermon on the Mount of that pattern of you have heard it said, but I say to you that you have heard it said, or you have heard it taught. He's referring to the tradition of the Pharisees. And and these traditions were done with a motive of how can we make sure that we do not transgress any one of God's laws. And part of how they tried to ensure that was to create additional boundaries, additional roadblocks that would essentially make it more difficult to obey, but what to disobey. But but what happened, and what happens in our cultures in religious life as well, and we see this happen even among churches, is that as they took on these additional boundaries and traditions, those boundaries and traditions ended up being equated to God's law itself. And so now you had additional rules placed on people becoming the measure of piety, the measure of godliness, and in fact, the measure of how much you truly loved God by honoring the law. And so these things that we see among the Pharisees, uh, we ought not just dismiss it as, oh, these were the villains we would have been so different had we been in Jesus's day and, and meeting the Lord for ourselves. No, it is part of our human nature. It's part of our human nature to try to construct rules and man-made boundaries to ensure something that only happens with a right relationship with the Lord 
and uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus also, when you go read the, the woes to the Pharisees, you, you see the real spirit of what he's trying to combat of putting bricks on people and, and uh, putting these additional weights and expectations on them. And he's saying that these weights and expectations, they don't just uh, miss the ability to fulfill the law. They miss the point of the law completely. So what Jesus is doing with this conversation, he's really turning everything up on its head of how the religious leaders, the experts in the law, even understood the point of the law itself. Yeah, Katie, and with that, this gentleman who knew the law so well, Jesus asked him, well, what's written in the law? And what this this expert in the law gravitated to was the, the love, love your neighbor, love God mm-hmm. and love your neighbor. So it's like he, he got that part right. But it's he knew the, he answer. Knew the answer. But now it was we're going to see he's going to try to justify that because he wants to put a bunch of rules in, in what I'm reading in this. He's want to put a bunch of rules in a place of, OK, what is what what does it mean to love my neighbor? He wants to put limits, parameters around that. And he's not going to go beyond that. It's well, the, the opening question really sets the stage. He goes, what must I do to inherit yeah. life. And even implicit in the wording of that question, you've got a contradiction. We inherit something and inheritance comes because of a relationship that we have with someone who has given it. And uh, he says, well, what do I have to do to inherit implicit? in that is what do I have to do to be worthy of, to earn it, to acquire it? And so Jesus hits the, the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is you can't, you can't do anything to inherit it. Um, and, and how, you know, that, well, the, the point of the law, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yeah, do that. And the whole point of the law, what Galatians tells us is to be our tutor to Christ. It is to tell us all of these expectations that God has of our hearts. We cannot, um, legalize and, and, uh, give ourselves enough boundaries and roadblocks to produce that. It is impossible for us to achieve that. So when Jesus is saying, do this and you'll live, he's being this master teacher because any honest student is going to say, okay, yeah, sure. Do that. Well, I can't. And that leads all of us to our own spiritual need and our own response to God. So real quick, before we um, go on, I, I just want to point out that there's nothing new. People are still asking those kind of questions. What What do I do? How can I be good enough? Is kind of the idea there. Um, what? How can I earn a relationship with God or salvation? Um, the other part of this is that uh, even in our Christian cultures, we kind of have a checklist of here are the things you have to do and think and believe, and here's all the things you can't do. So culturally, we still do that, right? We very much do. We very much do. And one of the one of the more difficult aspects of the moment that we're living in as American Christians is that more often than not, that is conflated with partisan politics. Either way you slice it, whatever your political persuasion, what is happening is we have Christians judging other Christians uh, in terms of their piety and their godliness by where they fall on both political issues, but then how they express and hold those political issues. 
And it's just one of the ways that we've gotten so very off track. Well said. So as we've been looking at verses 25 through 28 here, this conversation with Jesus and this expert of law, I think the thing that drives drives in this is the idea that our love for others is really going to be tied to our love for God. Now, what we're going to see now in the expert of the law, he's going to try to, again, he's going to try to find where the boundaries are for that, uh, what he can do and what he can't do. So he can, he's kind of wanting to limit who his neighbor is, I think. Narrow the focus. Mm-hmm. Narrow the focus. So he says in verse 29, uh, Luke wrote, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus took up the question and said, and this is where he now tells a well-known story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, They leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So one of the things that we try to do in our conversations is to remind you as group leaders or facilitators uh, to not assume that people know the stories. So uh, while mm-hmm. this is this is known as the story of the Good Samaritan, and a lot of people know it, but uh, I want to encourage you to tell the story and to uh, read the story with having in mind people who don't necessarily know the story or the importance of the details and and unpack that as you go along with that don't get ahead of yourself just let the story flow and 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 go with the story uh as as you tell it katie what are some things that uh, folks need to know and understand uh to to um give background information to uh, this story the idea of inclusion and exclusion is important here. So uh, that that phrase, he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to be found righteous. Now, in our Western culture, we understand righteousness in terms of um, how we measure up to a set of rules. And if we fail to do that, or if we transgress those rules, we have to uh, make some type of payment. Uh, in the culture of the Bible, they were in an honor-shame culture. It didn't make transgressions somehow less immoral, but the focus on it was that with shame came exclusion from the community. And so when a religious leader is wanting to justify himself, he's wanting to ensure that he is still included in the community of God's people. Now, the Lord Jesus his salvation includes both salvation from the penalty of having transgressed his laws and the shame of exclusion. His salvation is holistic and total. So it's not an either or thing here, but it is a perspective of understanding how this religious leader was, was approaching what it means to be justified. It wasn't just that he was righteous so that his conscience was clear. It's that he was righteous so that he was included among the people of God. And what is really easy to miss here in this parable is that the whole impetus of it is what do I have to do to be included among the people of God? And one of the things too, look at how Jesus is describing without, you know, as you said, Chris, getting ahead of the story, he mentions a priest and then a Levite. 
Why did they pass by this man in his time of need? Well, it's very likely they passed by because they were perhaps afraid that he had died and they didn't want to come into contact with a corpse. Why? That would have made them ceremonially unclean. If ceremonially unclean, they would have to be excluded from the community of other priests and Levites. And so what you see here is Jesus looking at this idea of who's in, who's included. Well, when we talk about that, the natural question that we have to ask ourselves is who do we want to be included by? Are we looking to have the justification, the righteousness that comes from God and be included among the people of God? Or are we seeking to be justified and included among other people in a religious culture? And depending on how we answer that is how we respond to other people when they are at their worst. And Katie, I, I look at this story. I, I, everything you just said is spot on. And I, but I, I like how Jesus presents the story from, from the man. We, we see what's happened to the man. Now, the Levite, the, the, the priest, they did not see this, so they could be making those assumptions. But we have heard the story from Jesus's perspective. As he told the story from the man's perspective, he's beaten up, he's left half dead. So there's a sense for us, we're going to feel some sympathy. Oh, someone needs to take care of this man. And now he sets up the two, as you call them, the religious professionals. Uh, and, and, and the way Jesus tells the story, these who are the, lifted up high in, the, in, in their Jewish society as these are the religious people we need to be like, they're kind of coming off as the, hey, you're not being the nice people you ought to be and take care of this man. Exactly. Exactly. They are failing to fulfill what in our own sense of justice, we recognize is the right thing to do. So in, in our day, we need to think about what this looks like and um, what happens when we see somebody who is in need as we're passing by. And uh, we need to think through maybe the fears that we have about getting involved, uh, the concerns that we have. Uh, I, th I think it's easier to identify with, with this priest and Levite um, in our culture, maybe more today than at any other time. Um, you know, I, I, I can't do that. I can't help. Instead of thinking compassionately or, or putting ourselves in their shoes or saying to ourselves, well, if that was my wife, my spouse, someone that I knew, I would, I would obviously help. Um, and, and some people in the great state of Tennessee, people just naturally do these things. Mm -hmm. It's, it actually, it, it is amazing to me uh, how many times when I've been the guy who's <laughs> had to pull off on the side of the road that people just like automatically naturally stop and help because that's what that's what they do. And um, we can't I don't think we can assume that anymore. No, that's that's true. And then the as this section sets up for the next one, um, there's there's the aspect of someone who is in a place of great need. But then um, what, what the Lord is about to tell us is that the people who are our neighbors are the, the very people that we would probably not be very quick to associate with. Yeah, let's go to verse 33. And this really is a, uh, Jesus is just about to just drop a bomb on them in this story. But a Samaritan on his journey came to him, to, to talking about the wounded man, came to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. 
He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So Katie, tell us, help us understand why it was so shocking that Jesus uses a Samaritan as the person who stops and helps. This would have been earth shaking for a Jewish listener, but especially for an expert in the law. Uh, In fact, it was offensive. It was offensive for Jewish listeners. Samaritans came from Jews and during the Babylonian exile, these Jews intermarried with the pagan Assyrians. So you have an ethnic prejudice of uh, that these were considered half-breed Jews. They were not pure Jews. Samaritans also rejected all of the Jewish Bible. They only accepted the Pentateuch as being um, from the Lord. And so all of the prophets and the writings, they rejected. So you have a religious prejudice there as well. And then you also have a, a cultural religious issue too, because Samaritans believed that um, they would worship on a different mountain than um, the rest of the Jews did at the temple of Jerusalem. So that's why in John four, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he zeroes in on a spiritual issue, she says, oh, hey, so you're a prophet. Well, what do you say about these places of worship? Let's talk about religious culture differences. So these were so deeply ingrained that the fact that Jesus was speaking not just to a woman, but a Samaritan woman was uh, pretty scandalous. Religious leaders, so the Pharisees, believed that Samaritan women from the time they were born were ceremonially unclean, meaning there was no point in which a good Jew would have anything to do with a Samaritan woman. He would be defiling himself. He would be making himself unclean. So Lo and behold, the hero of Jesus's story is the outcast among Jewish culture. The hero of the story, the one that Jesus valorizes, just so happens to be the one who is the object of scorn among the Jewish people. And and don't forget, he's saying this to a Jewish expert in the law, but we can't assume that Jesus's own followers completely understood this as well. This would have been something that they too had to change in their own perspectives, that to follow Christ, to be part of this new family meant that they have to check their own prejudices in their past and see people uh, for their character, for their heart, but mainly how they respond to the gospel and how that response is expressed in their lives, specifically how they love their neighbor. So in our culture, um, I learned this a long time ago, and I've always appreciated this. We have to get in the ditch. We have to be the guy that's been beat up. And when we open our eyes, we see that the person who's helping us is the person we're most prejudiced against. In any given person's life or group, uh, that will be a, that may be a, a different group of people, correct? Oh, sure. It can be and it, not even necessarily a group of people. It is it is 
essentially, who do you, who do you have the toughest time loving? Who do you have the toughest time accepting? Um, and, and we've talked about, uh, you know, people across different political persuasions or, or partisan beliefs. Um, uh, but let's really draw, drill down into this, uh, mask, no mask, vax, anti-vax, January 6, uh, however you interpret those events, those practices, you are on some type of side. And one of the greatest challenges that I think we have is refusing to fit into the the categories that our culture wants to put us into of where do you fall on a particular issue or uh, belief. And instead um, to kind of, I forget who would have said it, but, but refuse to let someone be your enemy because you choose to love them. And uh, this is, this is the challenge is it's really easy to see it in other people, but we all have uh, people or a group, a group of people or certain relationships where um, it is, it is truly a death to self to, to choose to love them. And, uh, and of course, what does love look like? It looks like sacrificing your comfort. It looks like sacrificing your own time, your own goals to do what is for the good of someone else. It's very uncomfortable if we're being honest. This is a very uncomfortable parable, no matter who. I, I think with that, there's even the sacrifice of our reputation. We live in a culture, too, now where to live out what Jesus has said here, to love those who are not like us. In our culture, for me to love that other person, culture is going to say, oh, well, you must be like them. You know, for, to, for me to love someone who is on the opposite side from me politically, well, you must be you must be one of them. No, that's no. But I'm just called to love them regardless. Uh there's a great question that we have in our in the in the books here, uh, really worth discussion. Which I think Katie gets right to what we've been talking about. What risk do we take in loving others well? Uh, you've already hit on several of those right here. The risk we have, but you know, just uh, the risk in my time, the risk in my finances, the risk in my reputation. All these things. I say we need to weigh them out, but to still. The bottom line is we're called to love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that reputation when you've really hit it too, uh, that, that by showing kindness, you can be perceived as somehow uh, having weakness or lack of conviction. The unbelievable generosity of the, of the man that Jesus described, um, I hope is something that we'll think about. So we pull, we, we find somebody and we help them. We take them to the hospital, to the emergency room, and we give them our credit card and say, bill me or whatever's going on with it. I mean, that's essentially what's happening here, right? It is unbelievable. Yeah. I never thought about it like that when you, again, it's an uncomfortable pair. It's an uncomfortable parable. <laughs> so, Man. yeah. So Jesus says this and then re- says again, what he had said before, do this, practice this, act like this. This is what you need to do. Well, that's the point of this session. Love is going to compel us to be the neighbor others need. It's not so much who is my neighbor, it's what kind of neighbor am I? And love is going to compel us to be the neighbor we need. Let me encourage you in your groups. You're going to have a good discussion on this, I'm sure, but leave time in the end to talk about, okay, this has been a great study. What are we going to do with this? How does this impact our life? 
look at that section of your personal study guide, your daily to discipleship guide, whatever book you're using, look at the section called Live It Out, where Katie has given us some application ideas to carry through. And some of it could just be uh, just beginning with prayer, praying that God would empower you not to settle for what he inspects, but to give you the, the, uh, a transformed heart to pursue what he expects. I think that's great. As a focus determined with God's help, not to brush past people, but slow down, look them in the eyes and give them the attention they need. Make time to spend time with people. Uh, I've actually just recently with a group of teachers had to encourage them to this. Stay in touch with people, love on them, but don't do it through. I mean, don't just. Well, yeah, I did because I left them a post on social media. No, invest the time to talk with them and be with them. But as your group, look at these ideas that Katie's given us. And as you talk about them, you may generate some other ways. You realize, you know, hey, there's, here is one way I need to show love to those and be the neighbor Christ calls me to be. Katie, thanks for being with us today. Uh, we've appreciated your uh, writing for us, but, but the insights that you've given today have really been great. We've enjoyed the time with you and we look forward, you're going to be with us again in a couple of weeks. So we're looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Uh, thank you. Those of, of you who are listening, we're grateful for you being a part of this podcast. Katie got a last word. Hope you enjoy this study. Um, and I hope it changes your life as much as it did mine in writing it. Thanks for being with us for this podcast, and we hope you have a great study.